0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported.
1: Community Radio from South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
0: And I'm Noelle Herhusky schneider This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022.
2: Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Kay Weinberg reports on the Deep May Technology Bootcamp in Paoli, Indiana. More in today's feature report.
0: Also coming up in the next half hour, Hard Zell on Red Everywhere, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. More following today's feature, but first, your local headlines.
2: On Wednesday, September 28th, the Bloomington City Council convened to discuss six pieces of legislation relating to the 2023 fiscal year. The legislation concerned fiscal salaries for city government employees, either union or non-union, 2023 tax rates for Bloomington Transportation, the general city budget, and the budget for the management of Bloomington's Water Utility Department. Mayor John Hamilton outlined three points regarding how he hopes the budget would be transformative for the city.
3: Uh, Just a reminder of the importance of this transformative budget. Truly, we are launching a new era for Bloomington with the economic development, local income tax and continued American Rescue Plan Act and prospective federal support. I think it is best understood with three focal points. First, this budget strongly supports city employees in all government basic services and affirms the central role of great public service. This budget helps us be a workplace of choice for all of our employees. It embodies the notion that we have an ambitious and innovative city government that is an employer of choice, delivering cost-effective, modern services in ways that advance the quality of life for our Bloomingtonians. Second, this budget embraces sustainability, in particular with transformative investments in public transit, and our climate action plan. We know this makes a stronger community. It embodies the notion that Bloomington is committed to addressing the climate emergency and building a sustainable, equitable economy. And third, this budget embraces inclusion and justice, being a city that welcomes all and works for all, embodying the notion that we are committed to being a safe, just, and inclusive community where everyone belongs and can thrive with good jobs, affordable housing, and inspiring arts and public places.
2: Hamilton spoke about how he believes the budget supports city government employees.
3: As an employer of choice, key components in this budget a 5% cost of living adjustment, a $1,000 bonus to all employees, virtually all a $780 new annual matching savings opportunity and an annual increase of $850 for the health savings account contributions. Just as an example, a $40,000 salaried worker would receive an additional, through all of those benefits, uh, $4,630 or an 11% plus increase. A $70,000 worker uh, through combination of all four of those components would get sixty one thirty, nearly 9% increase in compensation. We're also continuing to explore tuition supports and other kinds of uh, additional support as well as a $600 payment for vaccination. Uh, A new health clinic we plan to open next year for all of our employees. And as you may hear, if you want more detail, paid parental leave, which will go into place uh, this fourth quarter of this year,
2: Councilmember Dave Rollo brought up the city's current inflation rate and asked Mayor Hamilton about how the proposed budget would affect the paychecks of Bloomington public sector employees, who are members of the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees Union.
4: This is so reflective of my uh, question back during our initial budget hearings, and that is that you know we're entering our 28th month of high inflation. Seven, eight, perhaps nine percent. It's likely to in, uh, continue in the coming year. Um, and employees uh, of the city, including many here tonight, ask me. employees, are affected by this and their food purchasing and their fuel purchasing and their cost of utilities and so forth. So my question is, why, don't, why do we not increase base pay commensurate with inflation? Why, you know this is where it's hitting people in their pocketbook. Uh, they're not able to keep up. So could you explain why uh, we're not doing that? And could you also give us an idea of where the negotiations are with the AFSCME employees and whether they will enjoy the same uh, cost of living increases as uh, other city employees?
2: Mayor Hamilton provided an update on ongoing negotiations with the unionized city employees and expressed confidence in the legislation.
3: As to the second question, first, um, the negotiations are going um, energetically and uh, continue. Uh, We won't, of course, go into details about those negotiations right here, uh, but happy to report that the discussions continue and I think they're productive, and uh, while well, I'm not in the room, I know you have some people here who are in the room who you can, who can uh, affirm that. Um, on the first question, uh, I am very proud. This is the highest increase I've ever seen in a city budget, and as I indicated, the package of increases that we're uh, proposing in this budget, for example, for a $40,000 employee, uh, amount to an 11% uh, increase. For a $70,000 employee, about a 9% increase, not quite. Uh, I think they're very ambitious. Uh, they're only possible because we have the ED lit, uh, which has been critical. And I think we've tried to assemble a package of a very responsible uh, reflection of what is true for all of us in this city uh, of, of serious inflation pressure. And we think it's a good package uh, and urge you to support it.
2: Rollo expressed doubt over whether or not the mayor had answered his question regarding the base pay of unionized workers. Rollo then asked the mayor about the ongoing issue of retention of Bloomington police officers.
4: I'm not sure that addresses my question of base pay. Um, but in any case, perhaps I'll ask again later. Um, my other question is about, so I note that um, our recruitment and retention of police officers is still uh, problematic, and I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about crime in the city and their ability uh, to respond um, uh, given their numbers and their overwork. Um, So I'm wondering about ways in which we could be competitive with other cities. Some cities allow their police officers to keep their squad cars. Is this something that you would be willing to do?
3: That specific question, we do do allow police uh, officers who live in the city to have their squad cars, as well as those who are outside the city who are uh, part of particular uh, appropriate needs.
4: Okay, Um, so I I guess my question is, outside the city, you're willing to allow police officers to- We allow
3: police officers who are part of certain programs, uh, cert team, et cetera, and other uh, programs to have cars we are sensitive to that issue but the general question i completely affirm that we are continuing to work very hard to uh, offer the police department uh, all the support and the police officers the support uh, new uh, current and prospective police officers Um, for example as you probably know the budget includes nine new uh, positions in public safety including a recruiter to help us with that we have housing incentives and Some of those are, I think, are are just getting underway in terms of impact, but there's no doubt that it's a difficult environment uh, to hire police officers here in Indiana and across the country, and we're continuing to work on that, uh, including by identifying ways to respond to public safety needs uh, in a a little bit broader lens uh, as beyond just sworn officers, Uh, because every time we're able to respond to a call Without a sworn police officer, that's in effect helping us build the capacity to respond to those calls that are most essential.
0: The council then moved into discussion regarding an ordinance fixing the salaries of officers of the police and fire departments for the City of Bloomington 2023. Human Resources Director for the City, Caroline Shaw, presented the legislation and explained the recent changes. Ordinance 2225
5: outlines the salaries for officers of the police and fire departments. The ordinance also includes unit compensation for longevity, education, certification, training, and other qualifications defined by and provided for in the respective collective bargaining agreements. I will be highlighting changes in the 22 ordinance now for you, and in the fire department, salaries for fire captains, chauffeurs, and firefighters first class are listed according to the salaries outlined in the contract the city of, between the City of Bloomington and the Bloomington Metropolitan Firefighters Local 586. And they represent a 2% increase. Other fire personnel receive a 5% increase. The Assistant Deputy Chief of Administration and Planning is receiving a title change in 2023. The title change is Assistant Chief, and this will better reflect the duties of this position. An additional deputy fire marshal grade seven is added and is necessary to curb false alarms and complete inspections. The fiscal impact of that change is about $85,000. Like non-union and ACSME employees, eligible fire personnel will receive an additional $1,000, which will be distributed into $500 payments in 2023. And with regard to the police department, salaries for officers first class and senior police officers are set in accordance with the negotiations between the city And the Fraternal Order Police Lodge 88. And you recently ratified this agreement in May of this year, as you will recall. This represents a 12.67% increase for senior police officers and a 13.1% increase for our officers, first class. Supervisory sergeants will receive an increase of 12.67%, and the other police personnel will receive a 5% pay increase. The contribution to a police officer's public employees retirement fund has increased from 4% as an officer first class salary salary plus $2,500 to 4% for an officer first class salary plus $5,000. Compensation for longevity has also increased from $125 for every year of employment to $200 for every year, up to $5,000. Eligible police officers no longer receive contractual overtime, as agreed upon in the collective, recent collective bargaining, work outside of their shift is considered off-duty pay, but not considered holdover. We will, we will be, they will be compensated a minimum of two hours at the regular rate of pay, unless overtime is warranted. The clothing allotment has decreased from $1,600 to $500 in 2023, and certain police personnel are eligible to receive an additional $1,000, which will be distributed in the two $500 payments. The quarterly retention bonuses that our officers received this previous, this current year, have been built into the base salary for 2023. And the COVID 19 $500 recognition payment is no one's receiving that in 2023, but we're doing some other compensation, as you know. And finally, the language has been changed in section 1C and 2D to clarify that, with the exception of salaries for supervisory sergeants, those salaries are not set in either contract. Will be increased in accordance with the percentage increase for salaries of our non-union employees, and this increase is five percent. Supervisory, supervisory sergeant pay will increase by the same percentage as the police, as senior police officers.
0: Councilmember Isabel Piedmont Smith asked for clarification regarding the change in payment for police overtime salaries. Shaw responded,
5: "Yes, um, Miss Shaw, could you explain for a layperson what the the change is for um." That, that police officers will no longer receive contractual overtime. Instead, their work outside of a regular shift is considered off-duty pay. What, what does that actually translate into for the police officers? The best way I can think to explain that is they used to receive, anytime they did overtime, they received a contractual payment for it coming in off their regular shift. And she if I say fatal wrong, correct me. And now they, they get overtime when they work beyond the, the 40 hours is based on their FLSA FLSA overtime
0: rate. During public comment, Bloomington Chamber of Commerce Representative Christopher M.G. expressed the chamber's support for city law enforcement and the importance of officer retention.
1: Tonight, we just want to affirm our support of the men and women who risk their lives to provide public safety in our community. While there have been some pushback on some law enforcement tactics in many communities that does not extend to those of the Bloomington Police Department, They do an excellent job in not exactly ideal conditions. Their calm and patience in the face of uncertain circumstances should be applauded. Keeping the city safe is an essential duty of our government. To do that, you need to be able to attract and retain the same resolute public servants we have in the police and fire departments today. Just recently, I had a visit from the Bloomington Fire Department and their uh, resolute their easiness to a- answer my questions should be recognized. I thank you for your time tonight and I appreciate it.
0: Rallo said he would be voting no on the budget based on the budget proposed endorsing the hiring of additional personnel to ensure police officer retention and proposed alternative cost-saving options. Council member Susan Sandberg agreed with councilmember Rallo's concerns and announced she would be abstaining from the vote.
6: Thank you, I tend to agree with Councilmember Member Rollo with respect to this budget. I think we've made some steps. Um, I think we made it clear um, with the contract negotiation that it was, a, it, was, it was helpful, but there was more that we could do. Uh, one of the questions that I asked of HR was to collect data about staff turnovers. Um, in departments, and of course in looking at the records that were provided from 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, uh, when it comes to the police department, we have lost 31 uh, as of the last count of this year. And it seems to me that uh, recruiting and retention need to be Um, looked at with uh, a lot more scrutiny and with a lot more incentives and a lot more uh, assistance. So this evening, I'm going to abstain from this vote, um, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful that in the future we can do a better job of making sure we keep our police officers and our fire department as well are having some losses. I see we have 14 losses this year. So thank you.
0: According to state law, the budget will need to be finalized by the end of October. The Bloomington City Council will meet for an adoption of the budget in a special session on October 12th.
2: In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Kay Weinberg reports on the Deep May Technology Boot Camp, a 10-day intensive camp in Paoli, Indiana that combines technical rigor and the communal ethos of DIY World Building. We turn to Kay Weinberg for more info.
7: Deep May is an experimental tech boot camp organized by a national collective of designers, programmers, and other technical professionals. This year, with the support of IU Center for Rural Engagement and Local Volunteers. The camp was hosted at the Tomato Products Company, a renovated canning factory turned community space in Paoli, Indiana. In the next few minutes, you'll hear from some of the people involved with teaching and learning at the camp. First, Bethany, an instructor from the web development track, shared with us about how her background and experience in tech motivated her to be involved with the
8: camp.
9: Deep May is a way to break the isolation of tech and to bring technical skills into a more communal form that's just more enjoyable and a healthier way to do tech. You know, we're using these gaps constantly that are trying to manipulate our attention, sell things, collect data, surveil. The reason that I was really interested in Deep May was to try to get into tech from a different starting place than most of the tech that I've been involved in. The tech that I've been involved in in the past has has definitely come from like a military industrial complex lineage, a lineage that is is very suited for like corporate capitalism. It seems like an exciting possibility to start a new lineage of tech
7: She also spoke about how she's excited to be involved in particular to share skills with people who don't necessarily fit the standard tech world mold.
9: Historically, tech work has been done by like a narrow set of the population, privileged white males, not a lot of diversity. And when people are brought into tech, there's these funnels that kind of push people into using tech for working in finance, working for defense contractors, working for advertisement firms. So among people who had experience in tech, the thought was how can we distribute these skills to people who can use tech for helping people organize and distribute goods, doing real projects that help communities.
7: Finally, Bethany described the camp's open-ended teaching model and its exciting results.
9: I was really proud of all of the students and all of the work that they put in. Part of Deep May is trying to create the infrastructure for people to show up and bring their interest and provide some support and not really impose too much of, you need to learn this certain technology and go in this order, and have this exact thing at the end of the camp. So it was like very open ended, and so at the end of the camp, seeing all of the different projects that came out of it, and um, all of, yeah, all of the different things that people were able to get from this was really affirming to the model, um, and it was surprising to me, is is shocking that it worked for people and, and that largely has to do with the motivation that people came in with. People's initiatives really drove what the end product would be. And so as instructors, we had no idea what <laughs> what the end results would be. So I was very surprised and, and um, impressed.
7: Professor Hamid Ekbia of Indiana University presented and led discussions throughout the course of the week on the philosophy and ethics of technology. He spoke to us about the exciting energy present at the camp.
8: I was deeply inspired by by the commitment of these people, both instructors and organizers, but also students to learn. There were sessions that went all the way to the midnight after midnight, you know, following on on a long day of, of classes and workshops and such. So that was inspiring, uh, but but also the spirit of uh, cooperation, mutual support, that was uh, very unique and uh, equally inspiring for me. Andy Gerber
7: is a Paoli local who co-runs the Tomato Products Company Community Space with his partner, Kara. Together, they hosted the Deep May Camp. Andy spoke first about his impressions of many students' ethical approach to technology.
8: Deep May is, is fascinating because... They're, the people are very much linked to computers and technology, but also very excited about creating things. And so it's, it it's kind of deconstructs what you would think when, you know, you could look and someone might be staring at a screen, but then you walk over and look and they're, they're building a website for a food bank in their community or, you know, uh, um, building graphics about, you know, defending uh, some a forest that's in danger, or a river that's in danger, or you know, creating a a device to you know do some manner of interaction with humans, or I so I mean, there's some of that, but it's also it's also people that are very excited about um, the ability to bend tech back from stealing your attention to towards uh, what technology can be like if it's kind of taken away from the, the corporate interests that like to use it to just funnel resources away from people and, and use it to do really creative community-building things. Andy spoke about his memories of some of his favorite student projects. And they were all so different. It's hard to have a favorite for me. Uh, Someone building a website for us is, was really sweet. And, and the one that I worked on uh, trying to figure out how to control uh, greenhouse uh, ventilation with uh, ESP microcontroller, I loved too. Because those are, those are ones that are very much in my life after even everyone left. But I also really liked Earthworm's website that was designed for uh, the food bank. I thought that was brilliant. It, it, it just was so human. Andy also reflected on the Deep May learning model. I think the model itself worked really well. and It felt like a, a good balance between learning, uh, community, and then being able to go enjoy being in a place, uh, you know, and, and participating in the, the bigger environment of a place, jumping in a lake, singing karaoke in a, in a quarry. Just, yeah, those sorts of activities felt like they, they really complemented each other.
7: Simon, a Bloomington resident and student in the design track, spoke about his background and experience at the camp.
10: I studied prototype design in college in informatics, and I hadn't gotten a lot of industry experience. I hadn't taken a job in the field, and I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to. And so this was a step from the classroom into an intensive period where I got to interact with people that had experience with the field and how they applied it to their work outside of a classroom setting. But what was really something that struck a chord with me was the last time I'd been in an academic setting like this, everyone is obligated to be in a classroom. They're taking it for credit. They're creating a project that has no future And is created with the intention of getting a grade. In this space, almost everyone brought with them some sort of inspiration from home. They had some sort of project idea in mind, or at least some sort of struggle or some sort of need in their community, and so they let their projects speak to that.
7: Simon also remembered fondly the local Paoli presence at workshops.
10: I really appreciated the level of engagement that our host had with the workshops that were provided. Also, it was really great of them to bring other members of their community in so that we could share with them what we had been working on and sort of have an influence in the Pale space a little bit more or, or, or engage with them.
7: Slick, a resident of Evansville and a web development student, shared some of their post-camp impressions.
11: I was kind of surprised at just like the sheer extent and volume at different topics that we covered, you know, whether that was something that had to do with consciousness and its relationships to technology, deeper internet infrastructure that we were going into as well. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of really amazing discussion. And there was so much going on that there was always something to follow up with or begin anew. It was just like a really good way to pick people's minds on tech whenever they're coming from a lot of different perspectives.
7: Slick also reflected on leaving the camp with a feeling of collective power and inspiration.
11: It just seemed like our discussions allowed the potential for a lot of collective dreaming to happen, which is something that I'm really interested in. Imagining a future or imagining even the present and thinking like, how can we do things differently? And with Deepmay, we definitely had the tools and, I mean, the expertise and the guidance and um, whatever else we needed to imagine these big tech dreams, whatever it is that we wanted to imagine together felt very possible. And, you know, and seeing all the things that we were able to create throughout those 10 days is really inspiring. And it's something that, like, we can look back on and say, hey, we accomplished this in 10 days. What could we do in 10 months, 10 years?
0: Up next, Hard Zell on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more.
12: Have you heard of it? Have you used it? Zella is a relatively new way to send cash electronically, called a peer-to-peer payment service. Money disappears from one bank account and appears in another bank account somewhere else in the world. It's only been around since 2017 and competes with services like PayPal, Venmo, and the Cash app. You can use Zella to send money to anyone using their email or phone number, and it's become quite popular. Zella is owned by a group of banks and operated by a company called, for some reason, Early Warning Services. Early Warning Services has said that Zella handled over $500 billion in 2021 and has previously claimed that 99.9% of Zella transactions went through without any problems. But they haven't said that recently. A congressional investigation has now turned up some disturbing numbers. During 2021 and the first half of 2022, data from only four banks out of many more contained almost 193,000 cases of money being moved by Zella where customers complained they had been the victims of fraud. Banks refunded the money in only 3,500 of those cases. Even more disturbing, the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, federal law, requires banks to reimburse customers if money is removed from their account without their authorization. And in the data found by the Congressional investigation, that happened less than half the time. Let's be clear about the difference here. When someone is being swindled and uses Zella to send a payment to a con artist, that's an authorized transfer. But when the fraudster gets hold of your bank information and just uses Zella to reach into your account and grab some money, that's legally a fraud. And in practical terms, it's exactly like bank robbery, an unauthorized transfer. So in the cases the Congressional investigation looked at, despite a clear federal law, some 53% of the victims were out of luck. One thing that's very clear, scammers have been using Zella more and more to rip people off. Electronic funds transfer can be very convenient and very useful when you're sending money to a family member or a friend. But if you're sending money to someone else, someone you've never met in person, or some company you've never done business with, beware. Paying by check takes longer, but leaves a clear paper trail. And paying by credit card gives you the right to dispute the payment later. Some major payment services, like Heartland Payment Systems, have had their data stolen by hackers. And financial systems of all kinds are favorite targets for data thieves, the bigger the juicier. Who knows which company's data security will be broken next? So if you can't avoid using electronic funds transfer with a strange person or company, you'd better keep a very sharp eye on your bank account. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs.
8: Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email... Beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
2: Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Kay Weinberg.
0: Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider.
2: And I'm Benedict Jones. coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.